they're simply going to convert one of their investment properties into their primary residence. Mm -hmm. And the beautiful thing is, as long as they own it, they don't pay the tax. And every year that they live in it, a certain amount of that tax becomes tax-free. Okay. Never completely goes away. But we've got people that that's their retirement plan. They're just moving from investment property to investment property. Right. And every time they sell one, they pay a little bit of tax, but they get a little bit tax-free as well. I used to chase the ROI all the time, return on investment. And over the course of time, that has evolved into what I call return on life. Welcome back, everyone, to the Return on Life podcast, where it's not about chasing the what? The ROI. ROI is fantastic, but there's something way better in life, and that's called the Return on Life, the ROL. And today I've got an amazing guest, uh, David Foster. And uh, David is a really interesting dude. You're going to love what he has to share about investing, how to keep your money, how to beat the tax man, and most importantly, how to pass on that wealth through generational wealth building techniques. And so I'm just so pleased to have David Foster, the 1031 investor with me. Welcome here, David. It is. You had me at return on life. I got to tell you, Randy, I'm excited to be here. Uh, it's, um, I love that philosophy. We've used that philosophy and we've built it. And yeah, I think it's gonna be fun to talk about today. Hey, tell me a little bit about uh, who you are. And, and I mean, uh, you're now deep, deep into this 1031 investor piece, but there was something that probably triggered all this way, way back. Tell us a little <laughs> bit about your, your story to get from there to here. Yeah, my gosh, we're into this thing about almost 30 years now. Wow. Um, well, just about 28 years ago, this remarkable event happened. Uh, my wife and I, <clears throat> excuse me, were in fairly, you know, grinder, high profile careers. We were what uh, we used to call uh, dinks. Do you remember that phrase? Double income, no kids. So we had no responsibilities other than just chasing the dollar in each other. And then this remarkable thing happened. Our first child was born. And oh my gosh, that's a life changer. Because you go from being so introspective, so inner-centered on yourself. And here's this little creature that's going to depend on you for the next, well, in many cases, all their life. Right? You hope anyways. But we wanted to throw the TV away. There was no need for a TV. There was no need for anything other than just to sit and make gaga eyes at this little creature. And it was like, that was the seminal moment for us where we realized that of everything that life brings you, the one commodity, the most valuable commodity that you have is time. Mm. It's not money, power, position, all of that you can find, you can buy, you can create, but you cannot create time hmm. you can only maximize it yeah. so our thought was how are we gonna maximize this limited amount of time we've got with this little guy and with any future brothers and sisters so we decided that the corporate world was not for us well the question then becomes you got to make a living right so what are we gonna do and like so many people in the last 15 years 
we realize that there's two groups of people throughout life who have always ruled the world regardless. And that's the banks and the landlords, the landowners. Yeah. And I'm too lazy to own a bank. So we decided to own the land. Let's get into real estate investing. It'll be easy. She said, no problem. We'll make a lot of money. He said, well, we just dove in. And because one of the things that people get to know about me is that I also have a nickname that's called ready firing Dave. When I see a good idea, we just jump, you know, we'll worry about the consequences later. So we bought a piece of property. We fixed it up. We sold it. We made a massive amount of, of net gain on it. I thought, this is cool. We're on a start. Till so my accountant at the end of the year said, boy, are you going to pay a lot of tax? Mm. And I went, wait a minute. That was not part of the deal. Nobody told me that I had a silent partner named Uncle Sam and that he was going to do as well as I did. Well, that was going to throw our timetable of getting off the corporate train into a real spin. But right at that moment in time, because I had an accounting degree, I'm a nerd that way, I learned about this thing called the 1031 exchange. Mm. And the IRS had just lost a massive lawsuit. So that now 1031 exchanges were going to be able to be done by regular mom and pop investors like you and I. And what a 1031 exchange allows you to do is to sell investment real estate and then buy more investment real estate, but not have to pay the tax in the middle. You get to use that tax for your own benefit. Mm. So you're making the ROI off of the tax instead of the government. So from my very first mistake, which I really want everybody to learn from, where I had to write a check to the government for about $30,000 30 years ago. Hmm. If I was going to invest that into something or real estate and make 10% a year, that's $3,000 a year times 30 years. That's a $100,000 mistake. That money could have been mine. Right. That's that's what we discovered. And so from that moment on, we've been using them ourselves. We do them for others. And it's the greatest joy in my life, writing a zero for a tax bill in the year. Mm. I'm going to come back to the 1031, but let's go back to those early days when you made the decision to leave corporate America. I know. So a little Bambino came along and you now have what? Four boys, correct? Yes. And their ages, what is it? Uh, 17 through to 28. Is that correct? Yeah. Somebody's getting old and I'm pretty sure it's just them. <laughs> but, you know, to, to like make that decision and say, okay, this is it. We are going to drop our well-paying jobs and we're going to go and take a run at being serial real estate entrepreneurs. What was the mindset that, uh, that made that happen? Obviously, you know, having children makes you kind of stop and pause. And I, I often say that, you know, when, when something happens, it could be a tragic event. It could be a, 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 an exciting event. It could be a windfall of money, but we often change our why in those moments. What, uh, what made you make, I'm going to have a new why 
was it just the baby or was it something else that was driving that? Well, I think the, you know, the baby certainly brought the urgency of time to bear. Mm -hmm. But all along, both my wife and I have been kind of geared towards the adventure of life. Mm -hmm. Right? We get one turn. And at the end of it, we hear the old jokes and the studies and surveys. Nobody on their deathbed ever said, I wish I could have worked another day. Yeah. I wish that I you know, would have had more money. It's all about experiences, relationships. Those are the things that make our lives full. So yeah, I'll, here's the other big side of everything because it's not just about making more money. If all we would have done was traded a life of making money in the corporate world to a life of being slave to a real estate career, making money that way, you know, you're still at the end of the day, not maximizing time. Right. So my wife is a Minneapolis city girl. Okay. I was a Kansas farm boy. Mm. This is starting to sound like a, one of those language uh, commercials. Um, <laughs> we met in Denver, Colorado. Okay. And we're living there for 20 years after we got married. We decided that the coolest thing to do would be to go buy a sailboat and sail. How does that come from a Kansas boy, a Minnesota girl Not land living lovers. in Denver? <laughs> There's no beach anywhere. There's no water anywhere. But we just thought, you know what? Why not? Because sailing sounded cheap. Mm. Because you weren't going to have to buy gas. How, how expensive could it be? Well, we found out. But that's an aside. Don't <laughs> take a lot of money. <laughs> yes. But it's also about the idea of freedom. Mm. of dictating your own direction there's that f word again yes freedom. yeah it's all about that it really was for us we wanted the freedom to be able to go i mean you and i were talking about your sunset the freedom to go see sunsets from a variety of different places mm. the opportunity to immerse into cultures that we wouldn't necessarily have and then to provide that for our children right that's what makes for a rich life. You know, we sit around and when our boys all come back and <clears throat> we're gathering at family gatherings, the talk is always about, <gasps> remember that? There's those cool moments mm. that you just don't get unless you take the plunge. Yeah. So that's what we decided to do was let's develop a career that's going to involve real estate, allowing us to be fairly passive investors. And then let's go buy a sailboat and sail around, have some fun. Uh, thank you for uh, you know, bringing that full <laughs> circle because that's really, I think what our listeners want to understand is the return on life and what was the catalyst that uh, got to, to make some of these decisions. And so many of us sit on a fence and go, I wish, I want, I hope, but they never jump off the fence to go and do it and right. you did it and that is so incredible so for our listeners it is possible it is possible for anybody and everybody to jump off the fence and go and create a life that they've only maybe dreamt about hey there's two things that are so special to us when we're born that we kind of give up on which is the curiosity which you had the curiosity to look at this and then the imagination to think of what could it become 
And you said, I'm going to grab both of those by the horns and run with them. So to our listeners, any one of you has the opportunity to do this. So let's now dive back into the 1031 and how you created freedom with that. Um, And we have Canadian listeners as well on our podcast, as well as, uh, you know, U.S. listeners. And this is applicable to both sides of the border. It just looks maybe a a little bit different, but it is also applicable to both sides. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say for for any non-U.S. based taxpayer, you can do 1031 exchanges. Now, because I know your listenership is skewed heavily towards Canadian in terms of the non-US component, it's important to understand that the 1031 will not help you with your Canadian taxes. As a matter of fact, as a Canadian citizen, if you do a 1031 exchange to avoid the tax in the US, you will probably still be hit Absolutely. With a tax bill in Canada. So you want to tread very carefully. Your accountant needs to be your best friend. Or at least a good enough friend that they get a Christmas card every year. Now, what makes the 1031 work, though, for Canadian citizens, is that any tax-paying entity can do a 1031 exchange. So we will have a ton of non-U.S.-based taxpayers who will start an American company, a limited liability company, an S-corporation, something like that, for the sole purpose of investing in real estate. Now, that's a U.S.-based entity, so it's only subject to U.S.-based taxes. And then that U.S. entity is who will own the real estate. So they can then sell the real estate do the 1031 exchange, buy the real estate, defer all the tax. And then once that all trickles down to your Canadian tax return at the end of the year, that company shows no profit because of the 1031 exchange. Now there's no tax going to be paid Mm. by the Canadian citizen. Yeah. So that's how you're able to get around it. But you're right. It takes a couple extra steps and some extra planning. But the principle is the same. So, and I would we, just, we, I would just jump ahead, in and say, listen, you know, if if you're a Canadian listening to this and you're thinking about 1031, there's so many great accountants and lawyers that handle both sides of the board. They understand this, uh, you know, intimately. And so that would be my advice. We're not here to give you uh, guidance and advice. I'm here to give you guidance and advice to go and find the right tax U.S. Canadian accountant and lawyer to help help you with this but it is it is a doable thing so i uh, just wanted to make sure that we disclose that so we have nobody coming back and saying randy you said yeah absolutely as a matter of fact i still am in trauma counseling for the fishing lodge that i bought in red lake ontario oh. as a u.s citizen so yeah your accountant <laughs> is your best friend oh yes so true well, um, what are some of the things that one maybe needs to really be careful of? Is there is there anything that you, you don't want to get hung up on by uh, walking through the 1031? Or is there something, can you give us a little bit of a, a snapshot, whether it be uh, for the Canadians or the U.S.? Um, yeah, well, the, the rules regarding 
how to perform a 1031 are very specific. Because remember, this all came out of a lawsuit that the IRS lost. Mm. So number one, they were grumpy. And number two, they were just not willing to make it easy. But they had to allow us to do it. So it is only available for investment real estate. Mm -hmm. You have to use the services of a qualified intermediary. That's someone like me. Yeah. who performs the, the function of documenting the 1031 exchange. The IRS is very particular about not letting you touch the proceeds. So that's one of the roles of the qualified intermediary okay. is that you cannot touch the money. It's got to be held by this third party. Hmm. Now, what really trips up most people are two parts of the rule. The first one is that you only have 45 days from the sale of your old property to identify your new replacement. Mm. You have a total of 180 days to close. That's not so bad. But identifying your property in 45 days can be a challenge. And if you're past day 45, you cannot change your list. So I tell people, yeah, you probably don't want to think about this as an identification list. Think of this more as an, oh my gosh, I got to get it under contract. So, kind of list. So just to uh, help our listeners here, it's having something under contract. So dated uh, 40, no later than 45 days after the close of your previous the old property. Yeah. Okay. Now it technically doesn't have to be under contract. Okay. It really is just a written thing, but after day 45, you can't change your list. So if you put a property on your list, just one, and you're now at day 45, 60 and you get outbid you're stuck mm -hmm. i literally had a client this year that had to go back to three different people and pay more for the property than he wanted to because that's what he had named and they had outbid him and he had to go offer them even more than that for the privilege of getting to buy it hmm. that that was not a good day no not a good day at all. Well, that's good to know. And so you can put as many as what? 10, 20, 100 on this list if you want? Technically speaking, yes, but there's a couple of limitations. If you name three or fewer, it doesn't matter what they're worth. Okay. And when you're trying to grow bigger to go from like, say, single family rental to a large multifamily, mm -hmm. it works out just perfect. If you're wanting to go the opposite direction, sell a larger asset, and use the proceeds to go buy several smaller properties, which is perfectly fine. Then if you name more than three properties on your list, either the total value cannot be more than 200% of what you sold, mm. or you have to close on every property. Mm. So you've got to be careful about not identifying too many you know, the other thing is people get excited thinking, I'll just name a bunch. But the bottom line is by the time you negotiate on one, it falls through and you go to your second one, the chances of that second one still being around are pretty slim anyways. Mm -hmm. So it's really best to stay focused, stay narrow, spend your time on the one you really want and get it under contract during the 45 day period. Yeah. <clears throat> Now, I know you live in Florida. You're uh, in St. Petersburg, beautiful spot. Um, is this 
does the 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 1031 is it more relevant in certain markets, states, or does it make a difference? That is a great question. Let's do that by doing let's 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 give you a quiz, shall we? Okay. <laughs> this quiz is going to be the four D's, four D's. of 1031 investing, okay? Okay. Now I'm going to give you the first one. Okay. And these are basically wise. So defer is the first D. Okay. Because it allows you to take advantage of compounding returns. Mm -hmm. Anytime I sell a piece of property, yeah. I'm using the tax for my benefit. And then the income that I make off that tax is mine. The income that I make off the income that I made off the tax is mine. Mm. So whether I keep it working and then anytime I sell that property, if I continue to 1031 exchange, the compounding keeps working for me. So whether it's two days or 30 years, as long as I 1031, I'll continue to defer the tax and get the benefit of the tax. Now, what do you think the second D is? And I'll give you a hint, it's got the exact same number of letters. And it's a trick question. I'm gonna say defer again. Oh my gosh, yes. You're a child savant. Yes. <laughs> Here's why. The 1031 exchange will allow you, and this answers the question that we were getting to. Yeah. The 1031 exchange allows you to take advantage of any part of a real estate cycle in any part of the country. Real estate cycles are predictable in terms of how they work. Mm -hmm. They're just not predictable timing-wise. No, we, we know that they happen. We just don't know when and for how long. The 1031 exchange will work at any time in a real estate cycle mm. and anywhere. So you and I both wish that we would have been one of those people that had a nice property in Silicon Valley that sold it in 2014 at its peak to go follow a guy named Elon to Austin, Texas and buy a bunch of dirt cheap hill country, Texas land. Mm -hmm. Because what did they do? They sold at the peak of one market and bought at the bottom of another market in two different geographies. Yep. So by itself, that allows you to maximize the amount of gain that you're getting. Maybe there are parts of the country that are generating better cash flow for rentals. So maybe yours is in a smaller city and you find a college town where you can get better returns by renting to college students. The 1031 allows you to move there. So you can change classes of real estate. Single families are usually hot in the beginning. Commercial heats up in the middle. So you transition to commercial real estate, any type of real estate for any other type of real estate. So that's the beauty of the 1031 exchange is you can go anywhere. You can go into any type. Hmm. Aren't you ready, Randy? The third D. What do you think it might be? Defer. Yes. <laughs> because just like the 1031 exchange works any way in a real estate cycle, 
It also works at any point in your real estate investor's life cycle. Right. And that's where it becomes very unique to what your dreams are and where you're trying to get to. You know, I've got nothing against it. It's their dream. There are people that want to become the next Hilton and do nothing but own massive properties. Or they want to become somebody that's has multifamilies or large office buildings with their name on them or whatever. You can, wherever you're at in your real estate investor cycle, you can get there. Now, most of us start out with more energy than money. So what are we going to do? We're going to go find a property that needs a lot of fix up. Mm-hmm. Like my property in Denver, I bought it and I bought a sledgehammer and a drywall tool and went to town. Well, you do that some, and then you start to grow your portfolio. And sooner or later, you start to realize, hey, wait a minute, I've got a lot more money than I do energy. So I'm going to start to hire those things done. I'm going to start to look for places where my money will buy me a better return as opposed to my sledgehammer. Mm -hmm. I'm going to move from active to passive because of energy level. I'm going to decide that instead of many small single family properties, I'm going to exchange into one larger multifamily property. Wherever I'm at in my cycle, Mm -hmm. I can use the 1031 exchange to get there including retirement. So the beautiful thing about the 1031 exchange is that you can convert investment properties that all have deferred tax on them into your primary residence Mm. without a taxable event. Mm. The only time there's a taxable event is when you sell the property. So let's say you're an investor in Cincinnati and you want to retire in Tampa. Ahead of your retirement, you would start to sell your portfolio. Do 1031 exchanges so it's tax deferred and buy investment properties in the Tampa area. Right. When you're ready to finally retire, you can simply move down to Tampa. There's your portfolio. Right. Better for you to manage actively if you want it. But remember, you can convert one. So in the United States, and I don't know if you've got this in Canada or not, but there's also section 121, which allows you to sell your primary residence. And if you're married, you get the first, and you've lived in it for two out of the previous five years, you get the first $500,000 of profit tax-free. Nice. So to kickstart their retirement, they sell their primary residence in Ohio. Mm -hmm. That money's tax-free. So maybe they take that first cruise or they buy the new car or whatever. But when they come to Tampa to retire, rather than spend more money, they're simply going to convert one of their investment properties into their primary residence. Mm-hmm. And the beautiful thing is, as long as they own it, they don't pay the tax. And every year that they live in it, a certain amount of that tax 
becomes tax-free. Okay. Never completely goes away. But we've got people that if that's their retirement plan, they're just moving from investment property to investment property. Right. And every time they sell one, they pay a little bit of tax, but they get a little bit tax-free as well. Gosh, I mean, is that cool. an awesome way to retire? That is a that's a great plan, and and uh, you know you're sharing with me earlier that you're actually uh, helping your your kids your 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 sons understand this concept and uh, helping them buy their first home and going through this whole process of a ten thirty one as well. Is that correct? Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, that's in my mind. As I look around at our our world today, there's a whole lot of people willing to take. There's not a lot of people willing to give. Mm -hmm. And the greatest form of giving is to give knowledge, to teach someone. There is more than enough for us all to do really well. I don't have to keep my knowledge a secret to do well. I can share it with you so you can do well as well. But that's a part of that. That is a part of what we're doing. So what we've been, and we're kind of, we're, we're getting away from the four D's for a second, but this is huge. This is really important in my life anyways. And that is that because we didn't see it taught in schools, we decided that we would take our children, our young relatives and their friends, and we would start to invest in them by doing two things. First, investing by teaching them financial literacy. It's an absolute crying shame yeah. that you can graduate from high school and not know how to write a check. Yeah. And actually, you know what? That's even a dated ref- reference, isn't it? <laughs> you can graduate from high school and not know how to open a debit account or take out a debit card. It's, it's crazy what's not taught that is so important. Yes. Yeah. So we teach them financial literacy. We teach them how to evaluate things from a financial perspective, and then we partner with them to go buy their first property. So they're able to stay out of a mountain of debt mm-hmm. because of what we're teaching them. They don't go in to student college debt, student loan debt. So they're able to start whatever career it is they want with a clean slate and with a property that they not only are able to live in because they have to have a place to live, but they can either rent the other half of the duplex or they rent rooms out, which is called house hacking. Mm-hmm. So that they are making money on where they're living. Yeah. And we're just, we're seeing such awesome returns. Yes, in their balance sheets. But I'm seeing, when I look at these young folks, the their demeanor, their deportment, their confidence, their lack of fear about tomorrow because they've learned how to make it work. So they don't have a lot of that fear of, I don't think I can do anything. Or that depression that says, like you said, jumping off the fence to go shoot at a dream. You know, one of your greats, probably your greatest export ever, the great one, Rain Gretzky, said what? <laughs> You'll miss 100% of the shots you never take. Yeah. What we're doing is we're giving kids the confidence 
to be able to take those shots. Yeah. They're still going to miss some. Okay. But the confidence to be able to go out and do it means also that they will in all probability reach those dreams. Yeah. Hey, what's that last D? Let's make sure we finish off that. Was Okay. Well, so the last D. Last D is deferred. Are you ready? For 100%, give it to me. Defer. You're wrong. I'm wrong. <laughs> ah, that's all right. You still did really well. Three out of four. The fourth D is to die. Uh, because in America, when you die, your real estate goes to your heirs at a step up hmm. in basis. Which means that on the day you die, all of that deferred tax for all of your life disappears. You don't pay it. Your estate doesn't pay it. Your heirs don't pay it. Hmm. It truly is tax-free. Wow. Now think of the power of that yes. for legacy wealth building. Yes. So in our minds, what we've done is we're creating the next generation who will be able to manage this responsibility. And when we die, they will get the property without the burden of any tax. Wow. So they can then start over on their own. I have one three-generation client right now. Their grandfather started doing his 1031 exchanges with me back in the early days. And when he died after not too long, his son inherited all the properties tax-free. Now, it took a couple years because there was no tax, right? Yeah. A few years later, his son then started to do 1031 exchanges with us. And that went until he died just a few years ago. Wow. Well, this is truly generational wealth building. And um, it, it just, it's just, uh, it's amazing. What percentage of Americans know about this? And then what percentage of them actually, you know, it's um it's so difficult you, you give somebody the golden goose and they and they don't even know what to do with a golden goose right yeah. um so what is the percentage that actually know about this and what's the percentage that actually use the, the 1031 you know i would say the percentage that i've heard of it is probably fairly good fairly great because it's an easy phrase those who really understand it or who aren't scared to look into it very small Probably the best metric I could give you to demonstrate would be that, uh, I think it's two years old now, three years old now, there were about 5 million real estate transactions in the United States. Mm -hmm. yeah. Of those 5 million, 40% were not owner occupied. Okay. So those would conceivably have qualified for 1031. Okay. So that's about 2 million transactions. Okay. At that point in time, there was about five to 600,000 1031 exchanges done. Mm -hmm. So yeah. less than 25%. Wow. 20%. Yeah, but and of course, that's just increased exponentially. So you're looking at probably an 80 to 90% of transactions that could qualify are not being handled that way. Boy, that's... You've got quite a uh, quite an opportunity to, to spread the good news. You're you're, you're, you're a profit. Know, you're a profit, Dave. Oh my gosh! 
<laughs> no, don't say that because a prophet's well, actually, that's probably true. Because what's the proverb? A prophet is without honor in his own country. So I've heard my kids talk to me. Yeah, I, I agree with that. <laughs> uh, wow, that is um, that's amazing. Amazing. Uh, what a great gift that you are providing for so many people. Um, and they um, often probably don't even recognize the gift that is being given. That is that is really, really cool. Um, yeah, it's kind of fun sooner or later, you know, you kind of catch up like the third D of, of planning for retirement. You know, it wasn't too awful long ago that one of my clients bought three, used this 1031 exchange and bought three identical side-by-side -side condos on St. Pete Beach. Hmm. And then he moved into the first one after a couple of years. Hmm. He lived in it. And then when he sold it, he got his proration tax-free. And he paid some tax. And I said, you okay paying a little bit of tax? He said, Dave, I'm retired. And if I was going to deliver pizzas for Domino's or bag groceries at a grocery store, I'd be paying tax too. This way, my, my retirement job is sitting on my back deck drinking coffee. So he sold it. Where did he move? Into the second one. That's his retirement plan. It's so fun to see people actually start to do that. I have a military serviceman who worked with us at every one of his service stations. He bought a house and turned it in. He rented it to his buddies and he, and when he left, he kept it as a rental. Mm -hmm. And then when he finally ended up mustering out and moved to where he was going to stay, he sold all of those in 1031 exchanged his whole portfolio to be right with him. Hmm. And now he's a real estate agent with a built-in real estate portfolio. You know, what an awesome way to end an honorable service to our country. Yeah. And I, you know, I think the thing that we haven't really talked about too much in deep was how we actually use this ourselves to turn it into a lifetime of sailing on the water. You want to hear that part of the story? Yes, please. This is both. It's about return on life. It's about that word freedom. Exactly. Creating all that. So yeah, tell us about that. So remember those two parts of the code. If you sell your primary residence, it's tax-free. Mm -hmm. If you do the 1031 exchange and sell investment property, it's tax-deferred. Mm -hmm. As soon as we decided that's what we wanted to do, to go buy a sailboat and sail the world, we set a 10-year goal. And while we were in Denver, anytime we sold a primary residence, that money went into the buy the boat kitty because it was tax-free. We knew that we had to somehow get to water where we could buy a sailboat. So ahead of time, we sold our Denver properties and we did 1031 exchanges on all of them to Stamford, Connecticut. Right on Long Island Sound. Right. When we moved to Stanford, Connecticut, where did I move? Into one of those investment properties. Now, at that point in time, you could actually take the whole amount of gain tax-free. So we just turned a bunch of deferred tax into tax-free. And again, that went into the buy the boat kitty. Well, after a couple years of then growing there, we realized that when we had prayed to ask God to let us go on this adventure and we prayed that we could get on the water and go sailing, 
we forgot to pray for warm water. <laughs> so we said, this is not going to work. Let's get to Florida. So again, we did the exact same thing. Sold our Connecticut properties, 1031 exchanged into a mixed bag of small multifamilies, some commercial property, and several vacation rentals. And then we sold our last property in Connecticut, tax-free. That money went into the buy the boat kitty. And where did I move? Into one of my vacation rentals that just happened to have a dock in the back that would just happen to fit a 53-foot sailboat perfectly. Mm. And so we then bought the sailboat with tax-free dollars and took off and lived all over the Keys, the Gulf of Mexico, Florida, and the Bahamas for 10 years, living off the income from my private clients and our vacation rentals and multifamily properties, all without paying a penny in capital gains tax. So I love that I did that. But you know what I also kind of love is that I'm not just a guy who's telling you you can do it. Yes. I actually did it. And I got to enjoy it. And, you know, uh, that is a pretty special day because a lot of people talk the talk, but they can't walk the walk. And you're walking the walk and uh, sharing with us how to do it. And I love that. So now you've, you're sailing around uh, the Keys and all the beautiful places. And there's the turquoise water. Who is Dave uninterrupted? Who is Dave in the quiet? Wow. That is, you have caught me with a question that is so intriguing. Who am I in the quiet? You know, and and I think a lot of people, I'm not going to say struggle with it, but we're so busy. We're so busy and active. And, you know, we've got a attention span of a millisecond and we just can't just kind of sit and settle and just take it in. Um and so my wife was sitting with uh, with my 17-year-old the other day. And it's not the first time she said this. We've actually discussed this ourselves. But he was asking about career, some career choices, how busy he was, what he needed to do. How will I be able to make the best of my time? And what she said was, you need to become bored. Hmm. And the premise of that is that it's only when we have time to think that we can truly be creative. Otherwise, the input that we're getting from social media, from the news, from life, we're solving a lot of problems, but we're creating nothing. And so as I kind of like to say it, and it's a paraphrase of something I heard, it's like, Creativity is found in the space in between all of the stuff in our lives. So who is Dave when he's quiet? I love to welcome boredom Mm. because in the boredom, I become creative. Whether that's the next real estate deal or an opportunity to fix something, or sitting in the cockpit 
drinking coffee and all of a sudden coming up with a new way to route the plumbing on the sewage system. That'll be better. Or whether it's just an understanding of more of who God is to me mm. and how he relates to me and how he lets me hear him more in the quiet. You know, I, I, I'm looking at my, this is notes from something else beside my computer here right now. And, and it, you could insert anything into this, but I have failure is a worthy experience. Boredom is a worthy experience. And, um, and then I have adversity plus struggle equals God's growth in me. Adversity plus struggle equals God's growth in me. Um, but uh, yeah, some uh, some good words of wisdom there, Dave. That's awesome. Well, there's a verse in the, in the book of James in the Bible that says that, you know, the testing of your faith, adversity that comes upon you produces endurance. Mm. The people who get to go sail the world to create inventions that change the world to experience things that few people in the world ever get to are only people who endure because we all fail. Mm -hmm. And as Thomas Edison said, when they asked him about inventing the light bulb, right? He didn't fail. He just found a thousand different ways to not do it before it actually worked. Mm -hmm. So you're right. And I, I, I don't know, someone's surely said it before. It's like, my advice to people, go out in flames. Go fail. Fail big. Fail like your life doesn't depend on it. And then pick up the pieces and do it again. Yeah. And you'll have an amazing life. Well, Dave, you're a gifted individual. Uh, you've uh, given many people hope, and maybe they didn't have hope. Uh, what do you think is your greatest gift that you have and that uh, is being lived out in you today? You know, I think, and it bears out in, in how I work with people and helping them to create things. Someone once described me, they said, Dave, I don't get who you are because you look at a building and you see what it's going to be, not what it is. And I've really asked God many times to let me see people. Mm. that same way let me see a situation a building or a person mm. as they can be and not as they are and then i work backwards and say here's the steps let's get you where you can't be hmm. that is i love that i love that analogy and uh um i think i, I think a lot of the same ways that, that you do where you know a piece of property or building is always uh, something um, in process. And we as people, we're always in process as well. We're always uh, working at uh, bettering ourselves. You know, there's, a, there's an architectural term for that. And I never knew this until one of my early jobs. With no experience other than owning a couple of rentals, I was hired to put together the land, build the master plan and start construction on a billion dollar college campus. Wow. Holy cow. 
Yeah, talk about that's where all this gray hair came from. <laughs> I had it by the time I was 30. But I learned that architects love to talk about this thing called a moment. And it's so funny, you just laugh at it, but they all they're showing you these things. And they said, we wanted to create this moment here. Now think about applying that to yourself. Yeah. Can you imagine your moment? I can think of several. One of them is off the coast of Cape Canaveral, mm. going up north offshore to Daytona Beach, when I heard a whale come up and sound, you know, blow their, their stack, maybe two or 300 yards off my poor bow. That's a moment that I'll carry with me all of my life. I managed to create a moment. Architects create moments. You can create moments in your life. And when you put those together, at the end of the day, that's when we won't have regrets because we'll have a bucket full of moments. Magic moments. God moments. Yes, I love it, love it. Hey, well, let's finish it off with some fun here. Let's do a little bit of a speed round, Dave. All right, I put you through the four Ds. Here we go. (laughs) So... If you have the opportunity for fine dining, takeout, Uber Eats, or home-cooked meal, which you picking? Fine dining, Uber Eats, takeout, or home-cooked meal? Fine dining and flip-flops. Does that count? That does count. Sounds like a, like a fantastic beach bar. <laughs> what do you do to let all that beautiful hair down besides sailing? <laughs> Uh, I love to fish. I love walking on the beach. That's our joy. And I am a... Do you live on the beach? We're 200 yards from the beach. Oh, beautiful. I walk across the street and there it is. Yeah. It's so, we we love that. We're children of the water. But honestly, think right now, the greatest blowing off steam that I've got is sitting in front of a fire. Mm. Just thinking. There's something about a fire. Uh, I know it, right? Especially when it has marshmallows to go with it, right? Yes. But a fire, you just, it it allows you to reflect, uh, contemplate, think, be in the silence with others without even talking. And there's something about that snap, crackle, pop, and the mesmerizing of the flames. Ah, I get you. Magical, yeah. Yeah. How about a favorite band? So I would equate, I don't think that actually be my favorite, he'd be my favorite band, but Billy Joel. Mm. But here's why. I've loved his stuff. I grew up with his stuff. So he's always been kind of a part of my life. But my now my 20-year-old fell in love with him so much that he wanted to take his dad to see Billy Joel live. And it was the first time I'd ever seen Billy Joel live. Hmm. And it was his first concert. And as he and I describe it today, he said, Dad, I will never forget that. Wait for it. Hmm. Moment. As long as I live. Goosebumps. Uh, And he played my favorite song right at the end. Right on. Oh, that's awesome. Fantastic moment. Um, Text. Email, talk, 
or in person? Talk. Definitely talk. I'm all thumbs with text. Email. I'm as likely to type in all caps as nothing. So, <laughs> you know, I really, I just think communication. I'm an English major. I've got an English degree as well. And communication is not in just the words. It's now the words are delivered and how the words are received. So yeah, if you're trying to solve issues with text and email, good luck. Yep, I agree. Audible or book? Book, 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 book. Okay, last question, trick question. Dave, if you're a scratch and sniff sticker, if you were a scratch and sniff sticker and I scratched your back, what would I smell? You're in a, this is going to surprise you from the sailor boy. You're going to smell Colorado pine. Ooh, I like that. Colorado pine. That is a beautiful smell, especially in spring. Yeah, that is beautiful. Well, Dave, um, our listeners got so much value out of this. I know they're going to get so much value out of this. The 1031 is an absolute game changer. I hope that we've triggered enough people to think about it. And David Foster, if you're a listener right now and you need some more help, more advice, more clarity, reach out to Dave Foster. What's uh, your email address? Do you want to give that to us? Well, you can catch us at our website. Okay. Because remember, this thing really is all about education. Really? Like we said several times. So we created a website that fuels your education. Mm. We have a 47-part YouTube series. We have calculators, opportunities to speak mm. to us directly, everything we've been talking about. And you can find us at the1031investor.com. Awesome. 1031investor.com. We talked about this real quick. Yes, yes. Lifetime tax-free wealth, the 1031investor's guide to the, 10, the real estate investor's guide to the 1031 exchange. The thing that's fun about this is it's got our story, but we also put a ton of case studies in there. Mm. So that it's not really just how do you do 1031 exchanges, but how you can reach whatever your dream life is using tax-free wealth from the 1031 exchange. You can pick it up at Amazon or anywhere. Fantastic. Well, Dave, thank you so much for being a guest here on the Return on Life podcast, which is really return on life or your freedom forever. If you just use some of these concepts that to share with our listeners. So Dave, thank you so much for being a great guest. Loved every minute of it. Thank you so much. Take care.